You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And this week, we're going to talk about The Who, and not probably The Who that you would think we'd be talking about. Not the pinball wizard, guys. (laughs) Nope, Tommy had nothing to do with this. Nobody's getting fooled again this time. Well, you might get fooled again. I'll probably get fooled a couple times. No, we're talking about the Mongolian metal band called The Who, H-U. And we're going to get right into our flavor of the week today. We're going to talk about the Gehrig, the Deluxe Edition, which was just released a couple weeks ago. So we've been excited about talking about this album. I know it came out last year. Do you guys know the Wolf Totem video on YouTube? How many views that thing has? I know I've probably contributed about 10. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. We're big supporters of the Wolf Totem YouTube video. But the, the, the answer, this video that, that came out, I think it was just a little over a year ago. I could be wrong about that. 36 million views. Yeah, I think. Wow. Was. It came out on November 16th of 2018. Okay, so a year and a half, almost two. Yep. Still, though, that's... That's a lot of views. It's so novel. And if you haven't watched that video, as soon as this episode is finished, I encourage you to check that out. And if you watch that video and don't feel like you're ready for war, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, definitely. And one thing about this this band in particular is I remember getting a hold of their their songs and playing them for Flavor of the Week, and every song that Dan hadn't heard, he would just start laughing, but not because it's funny, because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's not something that you would that you would expect, like... I mean, it's honestly, like, I guess you kind of would when you hear Mongolian, you're like this, maybe the sound that you would expect. But yeah, it was it was just incredible. And not anything that I've heard before, obviously, especially in the States. So for a little bio of the band, I guess, because they are so unique and definitely unique to the stuff that we play. So they're a Mongolian folk metal band. They're only a few years old, which is makes it actually remarkable that they're as good as they are. And they use a lot of traditional Mongolian instruments. So they have these instruments that are what's called a horsehead fiddle, a jaw harp, which right there, if your names of your instruments have like animal parts in them, you're pretty much in literal beast mode already. (laughs) (laughs) uh, The jaw harp, there's the flute, they got the lute, so they got rhyming too. And the probably most obvious thing about them is the throat singing style. So where... Their vocals of most of their tracks sound like a human didgeridoo. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. That's a good, that's a very good uh, comparison. What's crazy to me is that they're, they're a metal band. They they classify themselves as metal, but none of those instruments are traditional. There's not electric guitars. You know, there's not that kind of thing that's typical in metal music. It's very folky and traditional, and they're very proud of their heritage. So they call their style of music Hunu Rock. The Who being the name for the Mongolian Empire that I, they presumably are. It's, it's the Huns <laughs> is what it is. Right. So basically, yeah, you'll, you'll hear in their lyrics a number of Mongolian war cries, which definitely is what Wolf Totem reminded me of. Yeah. And things like that. And a lot of references to Genghis Khan. For better or worse. 
And Chinggis Khan as well. Chinggis Khan. Same guy. <laughs> way of saying the name. <laughs> they just didn't westernize it. <laughs> and also shrubs. And those two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. This I just I just learned today, actually. Last year, they got an award called the Order of Genghis Khan. It's given out by the state in Mongolia. And it's basically the highest award you can get for for basically promoting Mongolian culture. And so... Wow. Yeah, they're practically ambassadors. That's like 20,000 times better than a Grammy. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get the key to the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The key to the country. What are you talking about? <laughs> right, 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 right. That's a great point. I want one of those. I want something that's from the order of Genghis Khan. Help me figure out how to get this award. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a nomination for talking about them. I don't know how high the bar is, but... <laughs> <laughs> an honorable mention. We get an honorable mention for talking about the who. <laughs> so yeah, they are an anomaly among the things that we play and talk about, but we do it because they're fantastic. Well, they seem to be a very hardworking band too. Uh, right after they got the award that you were talking about, and they're actually congratulated by the Mongolian president, they basically started touring and in, they performed 23 concerts in 12 European countries in a matter of Two months. <laughs> Two months? Okay. Yeah. I think there's a really long video on YouTube regarding that tour. I would like to see this. Yeah, because right after that, they went to America and then continued to tour through in December. And so, yeah, they, they, they're putting in the work. It's not just that they're an overnight success. They're, they're out there you know, playing these concerts and making a name for themselves by working their butts off and, and playing a, a ton of shows. And being very savvy in the rock world as well, as you can tell by this deluxe edition. So the Gehrig was originally released last year, re-released a few weeks ago with guest appearances by some pretty prominent American rock bands. And so between their work ethic and their kind of savvy on figuring out how to have crossover appeal to a different country, they seem to know what they're doing. But all of their lyrics are are in... Mongolia. Yeah, it is Mongolian because I went to I went to read the lyrics and like I was hoping that I'd be able to like pronounce some of the the way that they say things in Mongolian, but no, it's completely written in Mongolian and I obviously cannot read it. <laughs> Which is another great thing about that Wolf Totem music video. I want to because not only was the music just epic and the attitude behind it, but when you when you see the lyrics translated scrolling across the bottom of the screen. And every line is basically, if they come at us like this animal, we will take them down this way. If yeah. they come with this much strength, we'll come at them with this much more. And it's like, <laughs> it, oh, the whole thing is just like, no matter what they do, we're going to beat them down. And so I'm just like, oh, man, I, I, if there's a war, I need to be on your side. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the things I absolutely loved about this song, too, is that a lot of metal bands, they just sing about the, the strangest of things. But like this one not only is it strange, but it's, it's entertaining. Cause like you said, it's, it's like the lion is in the bloody battle to the death, but the tiger overcomes a leopard in a match, but then yeah. there's an elephant and then there's lions and, and, and there's snow leopards. And <laughs> it's the huzu is what's happening in that track. Yes, exactly. Well, and then they also bring in like thunders and, and uh, you know, lightning strikes and stuff too. So it's, it's, I just like that. It's, it's very lighthearted. I mean, yes, it's about death matches between animals, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's lighthearted. And then in the deluxe edition, they add Jacoby Shaddix to it. Yeah. 
And I think that knowing the translation of the lyrics and then hearing Jacoby's addition to it, it's phenomenal. Like he has such an ability to get on anybody's song and just feel like he fits. You know what I mean? Yep. I appreciate the way that his first lines in the song keep with the same theme of what they were already singing about. Yeah. After that, he kind of diverts and starts doing his own thing. But, you know, he starts with singing about like the lion and the tiger or whatever. And he even kind of has this a similar, though not the same, like rhythmic delivery. The pacing. Yeah. Most of their songs are just like, jun, jigga, 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 jun, jigga, jigga, kind of thing. Yeah. And he kind of fits in with that in the way that he sings along with it. So he, he clearly sort of knew what he was getting into and how to make himself a natural pairing. And like I said, I think he just has an ability for that. Uh, there's several examples that I can think of in which he was in another band's song or featured. And because from what I remember, like the one that comes to mind right off the bat is him and Skindred's warning. And from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but um, he came up with that part himself. Jacoby Shaddix came up with that part. They literally reached out to him and said, hey, would you just cut up a vocal part for this song? And he and it was just it was just masterful. Like, if, like I said, it just he has a way of feeling like he fits in. But I think that's also kind of goes back to just Papa Roach and something we said in our previous episodes. I feel like this the Papa Roach and Jacoby Shaddix are like the chameleons of rock. They can just assimilate into any type of rock genre, no matter what it is. It could be emo music, it could be metal, it could be, you know, the digital rock. And, and they just find a way to make it work and make it their own sound. Yeah. I mean, that his appearance and warning was fantastic. That I love that song to begin with, but him coming in with like, you better tread lightly part. Yeah. It really does make the track, actually. Yeah. I think I've mentioned this before, but like my son's name is Jacoby. And so when we first named him, it was just because we liked the name Jacoby. But the more and more that Jacoby makes appearance, Jacoby Shaddix makes appearances in songs like these, the more that I'm actually like starting to say, oh, no, we totally named our son after Jacoby Shaddix. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, it was it wasn't just his appearance that that made the deluxe edition insane, uh, insanely good. You know, Danny Case from From Ashes to New really made quite an impression on me as well because the most recent From Ashes to New album was so awesome, and there's no doubt that he just found a place with that band, and then and then because of him, that band is excelling. And actually, they I just found out they have a new album coming out here in the next month. So yeah, I just feel like he fits so perfectly in that song UA UAU. You know, the song already was good. The first time we heard it, we played it on the show. It was great. But again, just like Jacoby Shaddix did, like Danny Case's part just amplifies that song. It just makes it, you know, he kind of fills the gap where they're not singing. And it, it just is incredible to me. So to clarify a little extra, so the original Garrig had nine tracks on it. It was entirely them and it was entirely in Mongolian. This deluxe edition adds three new versions of songs from there um, that feature guest appearances by uh, American rock artists. And then it also has three acoustic versions of tracks from the album as well. So the first one, as we mentioned, is Jacoby Shaddix guesting on Wolf Totem uh, from Ashes to New on UAUAU. And then the album Closer, which now technically isn't the album Closer in the track listing of the deluxe version, is the song of Women which they added Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. And Lizzie Hale had nothing but great things to say about working with them. And she also came up with her own part for that song. I got to say, from my standpoint, her appearance is the one that adds the most. Yes. I think that um, as much as I liked From Ashes New in that one, I thought the song was 
was also still fine without them. Whereas a song of women makes perfect sense for you to, you know, have a woman in there, which they did not before. And she just blends really well with them. And and especially so here's what I did, because I, I was curious how this would sound as I listened to it. I made a playlist out of this album and substituted the original versions with the featured artist versions. And I feel like the album closing with Song of Women, the version that features Lizzie Hale, is a perfect closer for the album. Little fun exercise if you guys ever want to try that. <laughs> There's an idea for you. Yeah, makes perfect sense, though. And it's cool because since there are only three guests, you got Wolf Totems right at the top of the album. It's not track two. So you got Jacoby, and then you kind of have this long drift where it's still just them being themselves, doing their own thing. And then UA is track seven, and Song of Women is track nine. So the guests don't overwhelm or like draw immense attention away from the band. I will say that the acoustic songs aren't that drastically different from the originals, but it's it's nice to have. Track eight, Shirig, is one of the ones that they do an acoustic version of. And for one, that song is just beautiful anyway. Here's a word that we don't use for too many of the rock albums that we talk about is pretty. And somehow this band, despite having the visual appearance of a Mongol biker gang, and despite all singing as if they are eating rocks, some of the songs on this track are like genuinely pretty and like pleasing to listen to. So I don't know how a guy going turns into that but it did <laughs> and i think they do it a lot better than than you but uh well i, I mean maybe <laughs> i'll maybe i'll edit one of them in here and, and it'll just <laughs> it'll, no. <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> no i would agree with you 100 especially with the one of the songs you just talked about and in, in uh the song of women and featuring lizzie hill because you know as I first thought, I was like, you know, this song is beautiful. And I, I feel that especially if it's about women, it needs to be beautiful. And I think that they accomplished that 100%. And I think Lizzie was the right person to choose. For one, just like Jacoby, she's kind of everywhere these days. Yes. <laughs> especially in quarantine. Yeah. And she's a very outspoken person about her beliefs and about, you know, empowering women and stuff. And she was a very fitting person to have there. Yeah, and she's got the vocals to do anything she needs to do to make uh, this song as beautiful as it as she made it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. There's one thing to note is that a lot of their tracks, the words are repeated even in the title. So you got Shireg, Shireg, and UAUAU, and then I think possibly Casey's favorite is Shuk Shuk. Shuk Shuk. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would agree with that, too. And we looked up the lyrics, the lyric video to that one as well, and we were laughing because it's shrub, 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 shrub. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you guys even really talking about? You know what? Never mind. I don't care. Just enjoying myself with you. <laughs> <laughs> Just a sh- song about shrubs. Shug, shug. Is, is that what it is? A yeah. Shug, is that, that's shrub? That's, that's what the lyric video said that we were looking at. <laughs> oh, wow. So what we didn't know is that the Who is actually really enthusiastic gardeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were singing about a lot of yard work that they were doing. <laughs> that one actually, I'm, I'm glad that they chose that as a radio single. I felt like that was one of the more natural selections. Just because it is so catchy in an almost silly way. Well, it's perfect uh, radio length, as as we all know. You know, radio loves their songs to be within three to three to four minutes, and it's right at four minutes. So it made sense 
to me as well. It's the shortest track on the album. So yeah, that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, it catches you. Like you said, it's catchy, but not only that, but it, it's just, it's got a good hook to it. Like as soon as you hear that, it's just like, oh man, this is, you start rocking out like Shug Shug. Oh yeah, Shug Shug. Okay, right, I got it. I got it. Good. <laughs> I find myself bobbing my head a lot. Yes. And that's one of the things, like I, I kind of noted before about even with their different instrumentation is it's cool because it's maybe not as flat out heavy as some of your monster distorted guitars and like giant drum set metal bands and stuff like that. But it still is heavy in its own way. And it definitely has like the attitude. Yeah. And it's just, it's brilliant the way that they arrange everything. Well, and like I said the other day, there's nothing more fun than driving around with the windows down and you're just screaming, shook, shook, shook. Out the windows, people are like, what the hell is that guy saying? <laughs> that guy's ready to go to war. I'm telling yeah. you. <laughs> I am ready to go to war every time I drive somewhere. Well, <laughs> regardless of whether the who is playing. <laughs> exactly. He's ready. Uh, that's funny. But to, to what you're saying about the way that they arrange stuff and orchestrate, actually, that was a note that I had about the Gehrig, the title track, which is the first track on the album, is I was listening to that one a couple times, and I, I felt like it was a perfect primer for the album in that I feel like you got to see in that track pretty much all of their strengths, which you would then see like kind of come out in different ways throughout the rest of the album. So I, that to say, probably if you wanted to know about that band, you could listen to the Garrick or you could listen to Wolf Totem. And if it didn't appeal to you with the rest of the album, probably wouldn't either. But if it did, there's a lot more good stuff coming. Yeah. And I think most people it would appeal to if they listened to it and gave it a chance. Well, you and I, I love the way that it's organized in the sense that like, you know, you have really strong songs at the beginning and, and like, they're not the greatest of songs, but they're, they're still, like you said, really beautiful songs like the legend of mother Swan. It's not like the heaviest, but it is a really pretty song. And then it comes and grabs you again with Shug Shug. And then, you know, the same is not necessarily a very heavy or over the top song. And then it gets you again with UA, UAU. I just think that the way that it's organized is, is very well done because it's not like you're listening to the album. You get all the rock in the beginning and then like the second half of the album, you're like, oh, I'm kind of bored with this now. It's it's just organized very well to where, you know, they have the pretty songs and they come back with the heavy songs and they come back with a pretty song. It's I really like that in the sense that it, it just it keeps it from droning on at the end. I think the band strategically did that. We yeah. talked before, even as far back as our second episode, the Pearl Jam one, about the value of structuring an album well. Yep. And I think that this album does a great job of that. To, to touch on another band that we've mentioned multiple times, Chevelle, especially earlier in their career, had this habit of having you know an album full of rock bangers and then ending with an acoustic track. And it wasn't until well into their career that they decided to actually switch it up and bump the acoustic track somewhere in the middle. Whereas on this album, I don't think there's nearly as much musical differentiation between the quote heavier songs and the lighter ones as there is between, you know, a Chevelle rocker and a Chevelle acoustic. But they interweave, like you mentioned, The Legend of Mother Swan is, is really a pretty song and it's smack dab in the middle of the album. And then you go into Shug Shug and then you kind of, so they kind of, wave back and forth between the more i guess like rhythmic and aggressive stuff and the more like swaying peaceful stuff and so like you mentioned it keeps it from droning on and i think that's fantastic and the album length doesn't hurt it either it's only comes in at under 48 minutes which 
in my opinion, is probably about the perfect length for a rock album. The deluxe edition's 48 minutes? No, the deluxe edition the deluxe edition boots it up to well okay. over an hour. That's what I thought. Yeah. But if you're buying a deluxe edition, you're you're not you're no longer listening to it for the like start to finish album experience. Because right. you you bought it for the bonus tracks too. And so it's not the same thing anymore at that point. Yeah, the only thing that I really would have liked on the deluxe edition is maybe one live song. Like to hear Shug Shug live or something like that. Oh man, I that just, was I don't know, just been, I think I just put it over the top. That's a good idea. I could have put that in it maybe instead of one of the acoustics would have been alright. Yeah. Or in addition in addition to it would be fine as well. No, I agree with that because, like, you know, I thought when when they when I heard the acoustic version of UAUU, it's like, okay, this is the third time now that this song is on this album. Right. So right. I think if they would have substituted that for like a, a live version of something else, it would have been a little bit better. That would have been totally fine with that. So here's a, a fun little note for you. Well, actually, a couple little notes. So back to Wolf Totem. I like Jacoby in there. I also encourage people to go watch that music video, the version with him. It's a lot of fun. I won't say that he visually fits in nearly as well as he does musically. <laughs> <laughs> you mean he doesn't look like a Mongolian biker? Nope. He, he looks like a, a pretty boy American. And <laughs> but in that, to that degree, um, I do think that the original Wolf Totem is still more intimidating. And it just it makes you feel like you might get charged and run over by this horde at any time. <laughs> I think Jacoby... Jacoby softens it a little bit, maybe in a sense, but but it's still a good appearance for sure. But the main note I wanted to make was I thought was kind of cool. And I just noticed this today when I was trying to look up a few lyrical translations is that the final line in Wolf Totem mentions something to the effect of like basically Genghis Khan coming back, (laughs) which I question a little bit. I mean, this (laughs) was a guy that slaughtered a lot of civilians on his way to conquering Northeast Asia. But that's not really the point. Um, so the last line is basically about him coming back. And then the track three right after that is the great Chinggis Khan, which basically is a song about his greatness. So they kind of flow this concept lyrically, which it's it's not subtle. But the fact that I don't speak their language meant it was more of a little bit of a surprise, kind of a fun little bonus for me to discover. When I actually get the opposite impression that, I mean, they are very proud of you know, of, I guess being Han. Yeah. Well, and, and Genghis Khan being, I don't want to go too deep into the history of the person, but as with most major world leaders and like empire creators, they did good and bad things. And so it's kind of one of those things where like, there are reasons to be proud of different people and reasons to question them at the same time. And obviously he's the most famous Han, maybe Attila, but <laughs> Khan, is, <laughs> Khan is probably the most notable Mongolian in the world at least in my world. And so it makes sense that, you know, you would have him in some place of reverence, I guess, if you're trying to express your culture. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I agree with that. Cause like you said, I, I, those are the only two Huns that I know of other than the, uh, the ones from Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, all right, I'm going to sidetrack right now for the first month, solid, maybe two months of the quarantine. My four-year-old niece was obsessed with watching Mulan. And so particularly she loved the song, uh, I'll Make a Man Out of You. And particularly within that, she loved the first few lines. So for like all of March and April, multiple times a day, I would randomly hear a four-year-old girl go, let's get down to business to defeat 
the Huns. <laughs> and it was adorable for like a week and a half. And then I was just like, will you please go defeat the Huns so we can stop listening to this song all the time? <laughs> <laughs> so there's my little frame of reference for you. <laughs> Since we are going to count it towards our top 20 this, this year, where would you put this album in the, in the hierarchy of top albums for this year? Probably top 10. I think it's definitely, definitely up there. There's a lot of releases we talked about and had pretty good reviews of. There aren't that many that we've been genuinely excited about or that have just really stood out as being different than everybody else. And this one's one of them. And for me, that gives them a heck of a boost. Yeah, I think it definitely would be in the, at least in the top half of the, the list. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. We mentioned off air that, you know, we're we're looking into a lot of new bands as well. And so who knows between album releases and stuff we just haven't gotten to yet. What else could hop into the into the pool? But so far, this one is definitely up there pretty high. So after reading a little bit more into Genghis Khan, I kind of understand why they would celebrate him so much, because, yes, he was in the end. I mean, he did some terrible things, but he also did reunite united many of the nomadic tribes of Northeast Asia Basically, he was the emperor of the Mongol Empire, which became the largest contiguous empire in history after his death. So that's, I mean, that, that's something to celebrate, to be honest. He did some work. He did some impressive work. <laughs> it came with a lot of bloodshed. Yes. And he, he impregnated an awful lot of women. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he did some work. So, <laughs> so, you know, some people just like to choose to... Remember the good things, I guess. There are multiple ways to build an empire. <laughs> <laughs> Having a ton of concubines and wives is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Can I make a side note about this band, uh, The Who? Because we just keep finding things that are that are just cool about them. They were the first Mongolian band to ever top a billboard chart. At one point, they were number one in the week in hard rock digital song sales. Which, anytime somebody is like the first to something like that, I'm just like, that's that's worth celebrating a little bit. Not as good as, you know, the Order of Genghis Khan Award from your home country as basically being ambassadors, but <laughs> it's still notable. <laughs> well, and I agree with that. I mean, we we talked briefly on the previous episode to where there's not many bands that can transcend into worldwide popularity while not speaking English. Right. But these guys have really, I think, been embraced by the U.S. and by the English-speaking world, presumably. And that is an impressive feat in and of itself. You've got to be doing something well for that to happen. But yeah, I love the fact that these guys have been able to bring a completely different sound, a completely different language, a completely different instrument set, and a completely different vocal style to the English-speaking world and to be successful with it and to make people curious you know, we're in a, a big cultural moment right now in terms of understanding people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities and whatnot. And so the who legitimately is doing good work in that regard in terms of, I mean, even in the things we've stated here, this is just the tip of the iceberg. But we all know a little bit more about Mongolia right now than we did before we started listening to this album. And that's a start. This is very true. <laughs> well, and also just being ambassadors in general, I, I'm pretty sure they did a, a COVID benefit show recently as well. Yeah, they did. They did. And we'll probably have a link to that in our show notes. So the only other bands that I can think of that 
that were uh, other than Rammstein that made it successful or have been successful while not speaking English. There's a band called X Japan, which I have heard of them. They're a, a metal band uh, from Japan. I know that Lacuna Coil, when they first came out, they didn't have too many English songs. They obviously got better at singing Lacuna Coil. And then everybody knows Ozzy Osbourne, right? Because, you know, I have no idea what language he's speaking most of the time, right? <laughs> it might be English. It's, he's speaking marblish. <laughs> no, he's, he sings English, obviously. He sings better than he talks. That's true. But no, I just, just joking. <laughs> Can I make one mostly unrelated shout out just because right now my mind is on the topic of bands succeeding in the rock world with unconventional instruments? Yeah. yeah. All right. So this is not a band, an artist that we've particularly played on the itch very often, but it is one that is dear to my heart. So I just want to throw a shout out to Ben Folds because we're also right now celebrating 25 years since the Ben Folds five debut album. And that was a dude who decided early on, I want to be a piano player, but I want to be a rock star at the same time. And so he would play his piano. He would play it hard and heavy and fast. And he would have distorted fuzzy bass to sort of make up for the lack of guitar. And I just greatly appreciate the fact that that man was able to succeed doing that. So shout out to Ben Folds. Also shout out to the new song he put out called 2020, which is literally a song about what a dumpster fire this whole year has been. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) We're going to put that on the playlist because people need to hear that. (laughs) But I'm also reading Ben Folds uh, memoir. It's called A Dream About Lightning Bugs. And that's how, you know, I really got onto the idea of of this guy being a piano playing rock star. And it's a pretty fantastic memoir. So a little shout out to that, a little free plug for that, too. Since we're down this path, I also want to give a shout out to other bands that made unconventional rock instruments work, like the band Like a Storm. Ooh. So Like a Storm uses a didgeridoo. And man, did they make it rock like they found a way to just incorporate this into their sound so well. And the other band that I wanted to mention was Hurt who the lead singer plays violin and in live, he is phenomenal with that violin. Like he just is the focal point of the show. Every time I see that band, I love seeing him play his violin. How much of their music includes that violin? A lot of it, actually. A good 80% of it, actually. Most of the tracks have some violin in them. Yeah. And it's all played by the lead singer. Can he somehow do both at the same time? Cause that's impressive too. He can, kind of. but he has to kind of, he has to kind of do a solo and then do, for the yes, to, okay. The yeah. violin like butts up to your chin, right? It? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Same yeah. With it butted up your mouth. So I presume they they were mostly different different parts of the song. <laughs> yeah, it's usually in the breakdowns okay. and, and uh, yeah. things like that. But I, I agree with Dan. If you ever get a chance to see them live, they are phenomenal. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see some people live sometime. Eventually, one of these days, maybe. You know what? It's crazy. It's like even these drive-in concerts are being canceled now. Yeah, but Skin Dread was mad because they had a, a drive-in concert scheduled to be played in the UK, but their cases are getting so out of hand that they canceled the drive-in concert, too. Yeah, I'm really hoping, and I don't know if it'll happen or not, but to go see one of those myself. Um, yeah, in, I agree. In Illinois, nice. it's, there's there's one coming up in a few weeks that, that I would like to do the drive-in concert for. I don't know if it'll happen or not, or, or how comfortable I'll, I'll become that day, but we'll see. So with saying that the deluxe edition of the Gehrig definitely does a good job of adding tracks and improving upon them with, with the features. So we actually wanted to discuss additional 
songs that feature guest artists. Yeah, and we already mentioned Jacoby Shaddix and his his guest appearance on uh, Skin Dread's Warning. There's a couple of Jacoby Shaddix appearances elsewhere that I absolutely love. Uh, he was featured in a remixed version of Nothing More's Don't Stop. But it's every time, like I said, every time this this dude Jacoby is on a different song, he just makes it infinitely better. It's really funny. I don't know how I always keep coming back to this damn band every time. No joke. One of my favorite guest appearance songs is a Limp Biscuit song. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> it really. I can't. Like I said, I can't help. I don't know why I keep coming back to this band. Like I really was a huge fan back in the day. I guess, and that just has never never left. But they had a song on Significant Other called Nobody Like You. And this song featured Jonathan Davis of Corn and Scott Weiland of Stone Temple Pilots. And the combination of the three of them, and I, I like Fred Durst the least on this song, but it's the combination of the three of them is just insane. Like you, It's really hard to even tell sometimes the difference between Scott Weiland's voice and Jonathan Davis's voice. I just think that they blend in so well together. And another one of my, my favorite guest vocals is actually a track that we talked about in depth a couple weeks ago with Passenger and Maynard. Maynard actually has appeared on a couple of different songs. Maynard uh, was also in Know Your Enemy, and not a lot of people know that because he doesn't have a very long part in it. It's just the part where he screams, and there's no better person to accomplish that scream than Maynard. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite guest appearances, and it's kind of funny because the guest appearance itself, it's their song, but you have the Dirty Heads featuring the Unlikely Candidates with Celebrate. And originally, it was an Unlikely Candidates song that the Dirty Heads just kind of took over. (laughs) Interesting. I'm not sure what to make of that. (laughs) You cover somebody's song and then bring them in to collaborate with you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but they took them on tour, and that's how we got to see them live. That's fair. I can work with that. (laughs) Yeah, we got to see that song played live, too, with the original band. It was That was really cool, to be honest. So... One of the oddest featuring songs that I I don't know if it's necessarily featuring because it it seems like they're kind of doing a side project. But Machine Gun Kelly is working with Travis Barker and uh, they've come up with a couple of songs. It's very punky, to be honest. I was actually quite surprised that Machine Gun Kelly was, I guess, had this punk in him and he actually can play guitar pretty well, too. You know, it's really interesting touching back to episode two. We talked about Post Malone's Nirvana tribute concert. Yeah. It seems like the direction that you're going right now is a lot of these rappers nowadays seem to have like a love for rock and metal. And so you'll have things like Post Malone proving that he also not only can play guitar fairly well, but knows his Nirvana. And then you got Machine Gun Kelly coming out and being like, you know what? I want to make like a pop punk album. And <laughs> I can't say I've heard that album. I don't know if you've heard any of the tracks officially yet, but just the one track. And Post Malone also worked with Ozzy Osbourne on his new album. And then they think Ozzy worked with Post Malone on his album, too. So Correct. Post Malone's actually getting in with kind of with the whole rock industry as, as much as he can. I think, you know, where you had in the like late 90s, early 2000s, this like rockers trying to incorporate rap into their music. And now it seems like it's sort of the opposite. Like I said, you got a lot of rappers who are really showing that they're fans of rock. And so the, the, they're blending again, but in a slightly different way. Yeah. And you even had like Snoop Dogg with Rage Against the Machine with Bounce. Oh, one of my favorites of all time. So hoping someone would say that one. 
<laughs> yeah, that that one was was one thing I was going to say because yeah, there's a lot of rock artists in the late '90s, early 2000s that featured a, you know some big name rap artists as well, like Snoop Dogg, um, Method Man was in uh, Olympus. Get um, <laughs> were you're gonna try to sneak with this DMX as was many, awesome, as many shows as possible. Yeah, I, it's it's not intentional by any means. It just, <laughs> I just really liked their first three albums. What can I say? There was also a lot of like um, compilation albums at that time that tried deliberately to to do like new metal and like rap rock stuff. They had like the loud rocks thing. That's where you got uh, System of Down and Wu Tang doing Shame. <laughs> And Static X and Dead Prez doing hip hop, and then one of our favorites, uh, Incubus and Big Punisher, yes. doing still not a player. Like a lot of, I mean, it was kind of goofy to be honest, but yeah. but some of it was a lot of fun too. And then you have an entire band, Apocalyptica, that has a feature on pretty much every track, and Tom Morello too. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that one. I the whole Atlas Underground album when when I was thinking of best uses of features is that album is basically Tom Morello and then he collaborates with different people on each track. And I think that is a really solid album. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Almost every track works really well. And somehow it still also feels decently like um, a cohesive album, despite having different people on every track. Yeah. I agree with that. Cause it all has the same kind of uh, message throughout the mm-hmm. album. I'm glad that you mentioned that too, because like I absolutely love that album. And I think if it wasn't for, because when I first heard, uh, when I first heard Tom Morello was putting out a solo album, I had no idea that it was going to be a collaboration album. I thought it was going to be more like the night watchman, which was different to say the least. Yeah. Um, but this, this album blew me out. I mean, it, it blew me away. Like I, I couldn't believe how incredible every single song was. Every collaboration was so well done and just fit the song that they were working with. Yeah, it, it was it was one of our favorite one of my favorite albums of last year. Going back to international bands, a band that I've generally appreciated the guest appearances on is Volbeat. The track Lonesome Rider, which is basically it's this song about uh like a lonesome like soldier or cowboy or something trying to communicate with his love from from beyond the grave. He's already, you know, gone and now he's kind of wandering the earth. And uh, it features Sarah Blackwood of the band Walk Off the Earth. Those two worked really well in that. They also did a great one. There's a track called Black Rose featuring Danko Jones that I thought was... They made a version without him and a version with him, and he definitely adds to it. Another band that I, I really like that incorporates guest artists is Linkin Park. And I think Mike Shinoda has kind of continued that with his with his album, his solo album. And if it wasn't for a Shinoda's album featuring Grandson, I probably would have never found out about how awesome Grandson was. And then one of my favorite bands that features a lot of guest artists, too, is a band called Slightly Stupid. Their most recent album, Everyday Life, Everyday People, featured a lot of different reggae artists and, and rappers. And and I thought that the the way that they used their guest artists on that album was was phenomenal. And I that's one reason why I absolutely love that entire album. Some bands lend themselves really well to collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. A good example of that would be Queen with David Bowie with Under Pressure. And then also you have Brian May with the Foo Fighters on their cover of Have a Cigar. Good call. You know, we kind of mentioned earlier, too, that like in the 90s, 
Um, there was a lot of rock bands mixing up with rappers, but there was also a lot of rock bands mixing up with techno artists or artists. I, like, I think you're going where I was going to go. Go. Yeah, for it. it's like filter. Yeah, featuring the Crystal Method. Can't you trip like I do? <laughs> I love the Crystal Method albums at the be- those early albums, but the filter version totally works for both of them. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, I think that it just made that song so much better having that that extra you know, just different sound to it. And talking about collaborations, covering songs, like you said, Brian May and Foo Fighters, Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson covered Helter Skelter. And I thought that was quite an interesting combination for one uh, and just a different type of cover as well. Yeah, I'm happy you brought that up because I was I was going to mention that. I got one for you, a band that we really need to talk about more at some point. I think we're going to because they represent our city of St. Louis. And that is the urge who does not have a lot of guest appearances on their albums, but there is one that I found notable on the album master of styles. They're probably their biggest single It's called jump right in. And it features in the chorus of that, uh, backing vocals from Nick Hexum of three eleven, and they're fairly subtle, but I think it adds a lot to the song because I didn't realize how, I want to say how much better, but maybe I shouldn't go that far, but how refreshing it is to hear Steve Ewing harmonizing with somebody or someone harmonizing with him. Yeah. And Steve Ewing and Nick Hexum sounded great together on that song. It's really funny because I, I, out of the two singers that 311 has, I love Essay way better than Nick Hexum. Agreed. But Nick Hexum does a great job of just, you know, kind of Jacoby Shaddix in the sense that like he can fit into a song and, and like you said, you either don't know he's there and just adds to it or in the song. So glad you made it. Um, it was just a fun appearance uh, on the Dirty Heads album that, that I wasn't expecting. I mean, obviously I saw it ahead of time, but like it just kind of drops in there, says his little verse. And he's like, yep, I'm down with, you know, the Dirty Heads and the 311. <laughs> of course he does. He's got to name drop the 311 in there. Yep. Ugh, it's so hokey, but <laughs> I still kind of love him. But man. <laughs> I wish, and along that line, though, I wish the essay would uh, guest appear in a little bit more stuff. Like, yeah, I, don't I'm a huge essay? fan of essay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. So yeah, we're we're advocates of collaboration. I'm glad to see that that's a thing that that's happening a lot, and I hope it continues to happen. Crossing those boundaries of styles and even of language and culture, sometimes more of that, please. Well, it's just exciting when when you see a a band, you know, that you already love and then they are featuring another artist that you absolutely love as well. I think that it happens more so live than it does on albums because they don't have to, you know, they don't have to worry about record labels and getting permission and things like that. But um, yeah, I absolutely love collaborations. I think that it, it's just a, a way to kind of, coll- you know, feature the best of both bands. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of times that just comes from bands touring together, and then they form kind of a bond. Well, and artists, you know, musicians are going to do what they always do when they are sitting around having fun. They're going to probably play music and come up with music together. Yeah, here's a little fun exercise for you. It's because it's going to have to be top of mind kind of thing. I'm now looking forward to hearing what the Who comes up with next. I'm excited about seeing what that would be. Is there anybody that immediately springs to mind as you would love to see making a guest appearance on their next album? Hmm. Maybe, maybe not even deluxe. Maybe at that point they just incorporate other singers 
into their albums right off the bat. That's tough. Uh, yeah, let's take let's take a second. But I'm curious. <laughs> well, I think it depends on you know what direction they want to go because you could have somebody like a Mike Shinoda, and it would mm-hmm. be it'd be interesting because like it's you know it's a little bit it's not something that they've done before like with collaborate with a, a rapper um, or even a you know like a like a Charlie Tuna like I I would tell you I, I don't know why but I love Charlie Tuna I would love, love Charlie Tuna. I would love to see him on on uh, another just anything to be honest because every time he's on something I I absolutely love it. I was thinking maybe this is the point where they actually do bring in a guitar and and maybe a Tom Morello or someone along those lines would be fun on a song instead of a guest vocalist. Maybe you actually have you know a guest electric guitarist to blend in with your instruments and see how that sounds. Chino, Chino, Chino. I think Chino, Chino on anything is pretty welcome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Chino is is more than welcome on any album, as far as I'm concerned, or just because you know it's the itch, and we absolutely love this band, uh, Benji Webb of Skin Dread. That would be a culture shock right there. <laughs> that would just be wild. I would love. <laughs> I'm trying to think of one that would fit like really well, and nobody's jumping out at me all of a sudden. How about we put Travis Barker on there just for some crazy drums? I was going to say, Travis pretty much collaborates with damn near everybody. Exactly. Or Ozzy Osbourne. That might be good. Yeah. I mean, you already can't understand him anyway, so <laughs> put him with some music. It's the same. <laughs> you hear it and you're like, hey, I actually understood the Mongolian guy. Throat <laughs> better than I understood Ozzy. That's that's weird. I kind of I want to see Snoop Dogg do one just because I want to see how that sounds. I was going to say they need a full-on rapper. <laughs> Dude, you know Snoop Dogg would just go in there, lay a track, and, and be, it would be gold like right off the bat. I'm Snoop Lion. Yeah. Oh, and now he's Snoop Wolf. Yeah. You know, he is all the animals in the battle. Yeah. <laughs> Snoop Elephant. <laughs> That's what his whole verse would be. Like all the animals from Wolf Totem, he'd be like the Snoop D-O-double-G ate them all. And that would be the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick i will say that uh as much as i didn't like the aurora album or as you referred to it the abora album <laughs> I, I listened back on the album and I, I called it i just called it boring but then afterwards i was like why didn't i call it abora that was <laughs> but it did feature a really good duet with lacy sturm it did She's actually in quite a few songs, to be honest, uh, you know, as a guest vocalist. I think that she she's great at it. And I think that she fit that that Aurora version really well. One thing that I've I've learned as we've talked more about uh, some of these artists is that there, there are a few bands out there that have like seem to have a lot of like overlap and a really close relationship. And among those kind of circles is Breaking Benjamin and Lacey and Red. They just all seem to really like each other. And I think you have some members that have like been part of both their bands and stuff like that. I think there may be a little bit of, of Brian Welch somewhere mixed in that too. And, you know, they say that, you know, especially with corn, like that's why they had the family values back then. They felt, they felt that those bands were their family. They toured several times with them. Uh, and, and I think that just kind of happens with a lot of bands, you know, picking bands that you like touring with, because there are bands that are, the opposite of that that you can hate yeah. touring with as well. 
Like I will never, ever, ever forget Smile Empty Soul opening for Trapped. <laughs> and the the dude before he got off the stage, he's like, "All right, up next is Trapped. These guys are a bunch of tools." <laughs> he just, <Yeah>. <laughs> just walked off the stage. <laughs> Having met Smile and Peace Soul like a summer before that, and the dudes were just down to earth, cool as hell, and I got like a, my ticket signed by all three of them. Like I believed him when he said that because I was like, "Man, if that dude says I, I'm 100 by him, man." And then you see Trapped on stage, and then they're like, he's staring down at his fretboard, like he just started learning how to play guitar the other day. The the uh, lead singer was like in love with himself kept reaching out and pulling you in that was his, his big move was he'd reach out and with the open arm and he close his fist and he'd pull his arm back <laughs> yeah and he'd like it was in love with himself that he's like touching his body while he's singing no uh, it was it was i mean just as soon as i saw that i'm like yeah these guys are definitely tools there's no doubt about that <laughs> no. i think we need to reach out to smile empty soul on twitter and yeah, and just thank them for that for that moment. <laughs> exactly, like it, it was it was so fun. I don't know if he did that in every single concert, or maybe they just really ticked them off before they went on stage or something. But like, just I've never heard a band bash the band that's about to come up on stage. Like, yeah, these guys are tools. That's <laughs> <laughs> how you get booted from a tour is doing that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it was a great concert. Besides Trapped, because it was Finger Eleven, Smiling Empty Soul. Uh, they were they were really good. Yeah. But anyway. One of my favorite shows that we saw recently that kind of had an awesome collaboration at the end was when we saw Monster Truck, Hailstorm, and Godsmack. Oh, yeah. That was incredible. They came out at the end and did a, a bunch of ACDC songs. and Yeah, because it wasn't just the singers that they featured. Like They had RJ, the drummer of Hailstorm, uh, come out and with his drum set, and so they had the dual drums up there. They had the uh, guitarist Joel from Hailstorm came out, the guitarist from monster truck came out and the big bassist with his long super long hair <laughs> from monster truck came out as well so i hope you enjoyed our collaborations and our assessment of the garrig by the who we are the itch and you can check us out more on facebook.com slash itch rocks also on twitter at itch rocks i-t-c-h-r-o-c-k-s or if for some reason you feel compelled to email us, it's also itrox at gmail. And don't forget the playlists. We will have a link to that in the show notes, or you can search Spotify, The Itch Rock Matters, where you can find both the podcast and the playlist that we have created that will have songs updated on it from this episode. And don't forget to subscribe. I know every podcast that you listen to asks for that, but there's a reason. It's because we have more things we want to say, and we want you to hear them and interact with them. And we appreciate every single person that listens we know your time is valuable and there's so many things out there competing for your attention so the fact that you took time to listen to us it means a lot to us and if you are a fan of the show please do everything you can to get the word out so far all of our our success is because of you um, getting the word out retweeting us and we do appreciate everybody that has supported us so far it is really incredible and uh and, and surreal we've put a lot of work into being the itch over the years and we're just happy to have a new platform and to see things growing and to be part of uh important conversations about rock and important conversations about life exactly some of my favorite shows that we've done so far have had significant meanings behind them and have been really important to to me to to get those messages out and 
and, and I appreciate that, that you guys have, have taken those uh, and, and appreciated those as well. And on that note, we can actually give a little preview for next week's episode where we will be touching on a release that we're excited about, but also probably a little bit of talk about, you know, another important topic. Static X just came out with Project Regeneration Volume 1, which features some of the final recordings of Wayne Static, who passed away a few years ago from an accidental mixing of substances. And so we know that that is also a topic that most people have had some experience in. And while we won't necessarily dwell on that, it is part of the conversation when we talk about Static X and where they've been and where they're going. So thank you very much for listening. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. We are The Itch. You have been listening to our podcast, Rock Matters. And until next time, rock on. Rrrr. <laughs>